0: Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.
1: Welcome to the mini-break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world today is Monday, January 17th. Day one of the 2022 Australian Open, officially in the books. Pretty fun for the maiden day of the year's first Grand Slam event. Of course, so much for us to break down on today's podcast. What I want to do for all of you listeners is offer my thoughts on the most pressing action from the first day of play. Of course, that means talking about the upsets. There were four seeds that went down on the day. In particular, two unseeded Americans in Madison Keys and Sebastian Corda, letting everyone in the draw, letting tennis fans everywhere know that they mean business over the next two weeks in Melbourne. Of course, a couple of seeds escaped on the day as well, two in particular I want to focus on in this show, Jess Pegula who has struggled here to start 2022, full-on escape against Angelina Kalnina in her first-round match, three-set victory for Pagula to advance, of course, last year's surprise semifinalist Aslan Karatsev, who won a title the week coming into this Australian Open, pushed to the brink, committed over 100 unforced errors, ultimately, again, able to escape against Xiaomi Munar. And of course, I want to break down both of those matches, all four of the performances I just referred to on today's show in depth. Of course, I'm also going to touch on how the top seeds looked in their opening matches on the day. Rafa, Zverev, Krechikova Bardi, Osaka. We'll hit on them all. We'll talk about how the Americans did. We'll talk about how the next-gen men and women did. And then, of course, at the end, I want to offer some brief thoughts on day two. Of course, if you're looking for picks for an in-depth breakdown of day two's action, hop on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. I offer my picks each and every morning. I'll be doing so throughout the course of the two weeks in Australia. Right now, we're four and three for the tournament, up 0.91 units. That feels like a victory. Of course, whenever you can start out in the positives, we're headed in the right direction. My guaranteed to all of you listeners was to be up at least 10 units at the end of this event, certainly and over 500 overall on the picks as well. So again, if that's the sort of content you're looking for, head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed, wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find that episode on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, lastly, before I get into the day one action, I just have to give a shout out to all of you listeners, to our Cracked Rackets Patreon family for your continued support of all of our work here at Crack Rackets. I won't lie to all of you listeners. I stayed up, well, I won't lie to you twice, I, you know, two truths here to start out the podcast, I suppose. I did fall asleep a bit yesterday. I'd been planning my nap schedule, planning my nap schedule. I told my dad this today on the phone that while professionally I may be an adult, Personally, I'm still very much a child, and therefore he can hang out with my friends because he still is dad to all of us. But I was also referencing the fact I've been trying to adjust my sleep schedule, my nap schedule, do like two, three-hour blocks throughout the course of the day so I can enjoy the action in Australia, do some work throughout the day as well. All of that saying, I watched the first two hours of play, 7 p.m., 9 p.m., I won't lie, that first 30 minutes. Again, a lot of truths here to start out the podcast shows you where my brain is at. I had to watch the end of Michigan, Virginia. Virginia Tech. Sorry for sneaking in some college tennis content here, folks. I not the greatest start for the Wolverines. We did get the win, 4-2 in the end in Virginia Tech. Certainly a scrappy team, but you know, that was a team I expected to coast through comfortably. We dropped the doubles point. Fenty did not look great at number one singles. Great for freshman Gavin Young to clinch at five. All of that said, you don't care about Michigan's victory. I was up watching that. I started watching the first hour, hour and a half, two hours of tennis. Shapovalov, who I had an ace of the day pick on. Benchich and Pedro Martinez watching all of their matches. Some of the other ones in the early session as well. I then conked out from like 9 p.m. to probably 1 a.m. So yeah, I got a solid four-hour block of sleep in there. But then I was up. I was wired. And I have to start this podcast again. I know I'm in the midst of a shout-out. But shout-out to the Australian Open. They are going to face plenty of criticism for a lot of things coming out of this Open. And whether Craig Tiley keeps his job or not is one of the big questions, certainly, as we look at this Australian Open over the next two weeks. But one thing they are exceptional at, A, providing stats for all of us fans to follow, all of us podcasts editors and in the media to use as well for each of the matches, B, extended highlights from pretty sure every first round match available on the Australian Open TV YouTube channel. We're talking at least seven minutes, so if you miss anything, you can catch up much more easily than any other slam, and honestly, the standard has been set. French Open, Wimbledon, U.S. Open, anyone associated if you're listening to this. I doubt they are, but if they are that's what you got to be doing. It's just what's required. The modern demand for tennis fans, for sports fans everywhere. There's so many matches, 64 singles matches on day one. Trust me, if I could watch them all, I would. It's impossible. When you have these highlights available, it makes everyone's life much more enjoyable as tennis fans. It makes our life in the media much more simple. Shout out to the Australian Open. They absolutely killed it. As such, I was able to catch up on some matches, watch matches live as they unfolded. Some Mackie McDonald, some Tommy Paul, Riley Opelka. There. There's a little American hour swing. Oh, I forgot to mention Anisimova Hartono, you know, which I'll talk about on today's show. I got to watch some of that. Pagula Kalnina, I got to watch some of that, I got to watch plenty, I have takes, if you listeners can't tell, I am wound up, I am ready to go, so much tennis for us to discuss, anyways, how did I get into this tangent, oh yeah, I right. shout out to the Australian Open for the YouTube channel, for the stats, shout out to all of you listeners, to our Crack Records Patreon family for continuing to follow, oh, that's how it started, because of the tangent on the dad, anyways, for following all of, sorry, this is again, where my brain is at, day one, I've got day one brain. A lot of tennis processing, a lot of thoughts matriculating through my brain at once. Hopefully that word usage was correct. Point being, shout out to all of you for continuing to listen. Hopefully you're still listening. 6 minutes in despite this incoherent tangent of course. A shout out to our Patreon family for their continued support obviously. Monetarily it helps us out, but of course it means the world to us. Know we have a community we can turn to that will always back us no matter what funky things we are trying and of course our crack rackets Patreon family privy To a match of the day segment over the course of the next two weeks, I talk about the match that excites me the most. Break it down in depth. If that's something that interests you or you just like to support our team here, crackrackets.com is the place to find more information. Of course, lastly, a shout out to our friends at Tennis Point who support us enough to go daily throughout not just the Grand Slams, but the course of the 2022 and every season moving forward as well. If you need anything from an equipment standpoint to update your game, latest, greatest equipment, all available at tennis-point.com at the lowest prices. You use our promo code CR15. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all on-sale items, a free two-day shipping, and best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Again, tennis Dashpoint, simple not the spelling, tennis point.com. The promo code is CR15. Day ones are long. Day one intros are long. I apologize. I will tighten that up moving forward. But with all of that said, let's talk about the action we saw unfold in Melbourne. And I think the place we have to start, there are a lot of good matches on the day to choose from. Even if there were only four seeds who went down, of course, Technically speaking, Novak Djokovic would have played today. He got replaced by a lucky loser after he is no longer in Australia. You had Shabur pulling out as well. So those are technically two other top 32 seeds relevant to the draw construct who were out on day one. But only four seeds who played matches lost on the day. And I do think the most pressing of the results belongs to Madison Keys who knocks out Sonia Kenin 7-6 7-5 and of course why is it particularly pressing uh, this result because Madison Keys was circled by just about everyone in the tennis intelligentsia any day in day out fan of the tour after her result last week wins her first title I believe since I want to say 2019 Cincinnati yeah first title for her since 2019 Cincinnati last week in Adelaide she was so excellent on her way to the title as well she's clearly fit as a fiddle finally held Striking the ball so cleanly, and you know, in wins over Goff, Samsonova, Martin Sova, Risk Risk last week was just dominant on the serve, you know, won over 70% of her first serve points on the week, clipped 91% in the final against risk. And, you know, that trend translated into this match against Sonia Kennan. What separated the two players in a 7-6, 7-5 victory for Kennan? It was the first serve, the plus one power of Madison Keys. And I want to be clear because Sonia Kennan obviously has had a brutal last, you know, 12, I would say, months of competition. You look for her last season, was only able to play 21 matches, 11 and 10 overall. She starts this season with, I thought, a pretty impressive run to the quarterfinals in Adelaide, knocking out Tomjanovic, Bronzetti, before getting knocked out 3 and 4 in a really fun match against Ashley Barty. She then goes to Sydney, knocked out in straight sets by Casakina. round one. Of course, Casakina ends up making the final over in Sydney. Was it the final? Semi-finals? Might have been the semifinals that she got. Yeah. Yeah, it was the semifinals where Badosa knocked her out because Bedosa Or no, no, Was that the final in Badosa? Either way, something against Krejcikova. Point being, um, you look for Sonia Kennan. She is striking the ball extraordinarily well. Once again, she was striking the ball extraordinarily well in this match against Madison Keys, And unfortunately, the one flaw in the statistics offered to us by the Australian Open, the unforced error count... Oh, they look to have corrected. There we go. The powers of the refresh button. You look for Kennan... You know she had to force the power a bit more because a you look on the second serve points you know for uh or the first serve points Madison Keys excuse me 42 of 50 84% Keys 36 of 55 65% normally very exceptional and obviously played this match very tight the difference being when Keyes got a look at a second serve, she was going big. And when she connected on those second serves, normally, more often than not, it was either a winner or it led to a plus one ball winner for Madison Keys. She just had a bit more power than Sonia Kennan in this match. And that's indicative in the winner count. Madison Keyes, 31 winners in the match. Kennan, 18. Keyes, 24 unforced errors. Kennan, 27. But the margins in this match were extraordinarily thin. Again, there were three breaks of serve in total Madison Keys two breaks of serve breaks to go up 5-4 on Kennan gets broken in that game for 5 all ends up breaking Kennan right back for 5-6 uh serves it out 4-7-5 big serve down the T to clinch the match uh you know you look for Kennan again she created three uh three break point chances for herself was able to convert one of them get that break back at five, down 4-5 in the second set this was a match seven break points total. Again, decided on thin margins. You look at the total points one seven six seven five Keys eighty two points one Kennan sixty seven points one. The difference in this match was the plus one power of Madison Keys, but Sonya who was an equalizer mixing in the drop shots taking the ball early on the rise the shape of Sonia Kennan's ground strokes is so beautiful the loop on her forehand and backswing and just how round that ball you know really is and just again the The pace of that shot, the direction of that shot. When she hits a ball cross court, the ball is moving cross court. It is moving diagonally. Of course, then she mixes in the drop shots, mixes in the slices, mixes in the bump lobs, and you know played a lob pattern to slow things down against Madison Keys. You know, as an adjustment in the second set, and found success doing that early on in the second, and just. She was back into her toolbox, you know, working the angles, taking balls early on the rise, ripping down the line as well. I think I've seen some renewed power from Sonia Kennan over these first three weeks of play. It's just a brutal draw for the 2020 Australian Open Champ because Madison Keys is locked in right now. And again, you look at the serving trends for her, winning over 70% of her first serve points on her run to the title last week, wins over 80% of her first serve points, you know, 42 or 50, 84% in match number one. If Matt, When Madison Keys has served well, she has always had success throughout her career. The big thing for her, and you look at the numbers for Madison Keys over the past couple of seasons in particular, you know, again, the hold percentage last year, 68.8%. That's a career low for her, and she had a career low 30.1 break percentage as well. We're nine matches in. It's a very, you know, biased nine matches because it's been the best of Madison Keys. But as of right now, you know, 78.2% hold percentage. That's the second best number of her career. 3% above her career average. 43.6% break percentage is by far, like we're talking 10% better than her career average. She's striking the ball so cleanly, returning so well off of both wings, moving, I think, extraordinarily well because, again, Kennan put pressure on her directionally. Just kept moving her ground strokes around the court but again I'll read the number for you 31 winners 24 unforced errors 84 percent of her first serve points won making 68 percent of her first serve points uh first serves excuse me that's a dominant serving performance from Madison Keys who's broken once she blinked serving forward 5-4 quickly got the break back big backhand down the line winner to secure that break 4-6-5 and then yeah Serves it out at 40-30 and big serve down the tee. She was moving her spot so well. Whether it's, you know, what I really like for Key is how well she slices the do serve out wide to set up the plus one forehand or the plus one backhand just to the open court because she has so much power. If she gets open space, she's going to take that space and more likely than not, if not hit a winner, hit a plus plus. Get another look at a plus one or easy put away. She's hitting that ball so effectively right now, so efficiently right now as well. The two F's: effective, efficient. Yes, they start with E. That's the joke. Uh, Madison Keys. As shown the rest of the draw, she can not only make week two, she could make the quarterfinals, semifinals in this tournament. And you look for her right now. Madison Key is up to a 1.4% one, one point, one point, point, chance to look for her now. She's favorited to advance out. Of, she's the favorite, excuse me, to advance out of her section to the second week with Coco Ga falling to Chung Wang or Wang Chung, excuse me, who we'll talk about momentarily. Uh, but you look even beyond that, from a power perspective, her versus a potential Paula Bedosa or Sarah Ceribes tormos who are the two seeds she would have to beat to get to the quarterfinal, she'll have the power advantage against both of those players. And with how well she's serving and, more importantly, how well she's returning right now, if she gets clean looks at the Bedosa second serve, clean looks at any sort of Sarah Saribas-Tormos serve— The match is going to be on her racket, and that's all you can ask for as a professional tennis player. Again, you look for Madison Keys. Just a fun fact for all of you listeners now. Uh, She has moved up. You look in terms of winning the quarter, Madison Keys now up to third, and this is a quarter that features Paula Bedosa, Barbara Krejcikova, Vika, Svitolina, Madison Keyes up to 453rd, most likely to advance out of the quarter into the semifinal trailing just Bedosa at plus 225, Krejcikova at plus 300. Again, the percentages like her as well at Tennis Abstract to advance to at least the fourth round. What a rejuvenating start for Madison Keys here in 2022. Again, Keep an eye on Kenneth. She's going to get back into the top 50, certainly. I think she's going to be back in the top 30, top 25 pretty quickly as well. As soon as she's healthy, she's just got the variety and she's got the power as well. She can just do a lot of different things on the court. As such, there's a place for her in the top 10. Do I think she'll hit the highs of 2022 Grand Slam Finals in the same season ever again? I don't know if that's possible. The depth in women's tennis is just extraordinary. She struck at the perfect moment. But she can absolutely make another Grand Slam final at some point in her career. She has that sort of talent. She has, again, that sort of variety, those sort of competitive instincts as well. But in the end, as we've learned throughout her career, a clicking Madison Keys can be stopped by very few forces but herself. Keys advances 6-5. and five. Great first win for her. I love the adversity at the end of the second set as well. That's probably the most significant result of day number one. Of course, on the men's side, it was another American, unseated American, providing the result of the day. Sebastian Corda, straight set victory over, in my opinion, last year's most improved player on the season, number 12 seed Cam Norian. I understand. Cam Norrie has not had the best start to his 2022 season. You look for Norrie. He, you know, again, uh, gets beaten up at the ATP Cup, loses, you know, 7 six first sets to Zverev, FAA, and Fritz. Loses all three of those matches, two of the three in straight sets. Now gets knocked out by Korda. So on paper, four straight losses to start the season. But can I read those names for you again? Fritz, FAA, Zverev, Korda. That's a brutal start to the 2022 season and again 7-6 sets in 3 out of the 4 matches now yesterday Cam Norrie Did not have a chance against Sebastian Corda. This match was an absolute beatdown. The numbers indicated, the eye test indicated by every metric Sebastian Corda. You could have flipped the seating and said, if you ask a blind, you know, a non blind person, a non tennis fan, hey, who's the number 12 seed in this match? Watch the highlights unequivocally. And obviously he won 3 0 4, but they'd say, oh, duh, Sebastian Corda. And that guy's probably very good compared to everyone else in the world as well because yesterday, Sebastian Corda made life look easy, and indicative, perhaps, of this fact is the f- you know the fact that he opened each and every set with a break of serve against Cam Norrie. Each and every set he broke Cam Norrie in his opening service game. Whether it was first, second, third, that's what you do when you are significantly better than your opponent. When you just want to put any chance, any feelings of hope they have in their body to rest right away. And they're just, the way he was doing it, A, and we've talked about this before on this podcast, but for any new listeners we've picked up along the way, Sebastian Corda's backhand is elite. Not good, not great. It's elite. If I'm making a power rankings of backhands in my head, obviously Novak Djokovic has set the standard. Vintage Murray belongs right up there alongside of him as well. I would put Zverev in that category, and Zverev's the only guy I've ever seen who can touch that Djokovic uh, plane in terms of fluidity, power diversity of shot Medvedev obviously his flexibility on that wing though I don't think he can drive it quite as well as Djokovic or or, uh, Alex Virev but Korda's right up there with those guys he's maybe not quite on that top tier but he is hovering if he's not 1b he's 2a and just he outplayed Nori yesterday his backhand wing to the lefty Nori's forehand and the biggest development for me was how difficult it was for Nori to to hit a winner at any point in this match and you look uh for Nori overall in the match 23 winners against 29 unforced errors for Korda 25 winners 27 unforced errors but like i i struggle to say if Nori really you know other than plus one shots where he just hit a serve that was perfectly angled out wide on the ad side and just left him all of the space in the world or he just caught Korda on a serve and volley whatever it may be other than those instances, you know, mid rallies when the shots were extending, pa- uh, the, sh- the rallies were extending past five shots. Cam Norrie was not frequently hitting, you know, baseline winners or having success opening up a lot of court for himself. Sebastian Corta took everything away, and Sebastian Corda had a ton of plus one success. Made seventy percent of his first serves, won seventy seven percent of those points, fifty four percent of his second serve points was not broken in the match. Fought off all three break points that he faced. He was just dominant. You look for him at the net. Eleven of fourteen. Efficient performance for Corda and th- again, the two things that were the biggest development. A, he looked more fluid as a mover, just was a little bit easier for him getting in and out of Corda uh corners. Cordas. Hey, great shot. Corners Nori doesn't have the biggest weapons, and so I would like to see Korda pushed by a bit more power. Like I think Shapovalov, although lefty to his backhand, that's a fascinating matchup. But Shapovalov's got the sort of weapons, the sort of bite on his ball. Felix would be the better uh, version of this, although Felix is a top fifteen player in the world. But that's the sort of power it looks like you're going to need with Korda's length. His his, you know, I think he's a Sitsipas sort of mover, where it's never going to be an issue. Paz might be a little bit more fluid, but I don't think, again, with his size, his length, his ability to absorb on the backhand wing, Nori either had to hit incredible angles or he had to find a way to push forward. And, you know, again, he won 62% of his first serves, but he only made them at a 58% clip. 14 of 28 on second serve points is fine, but fine wasn't going to cut it against Sebastian Corden. Again, gets those early breaks in set one and set three, holds onto them. The rest of the way just did not provide Nori any sort of opportunity to work his way back into the match and w- just didn't make plus one ball error. Didn't make many, un- I mean, it's funny because he ends with more unforced errors than winners, but didn't make any any foolish errors. He played within the rhythm of the match. He found what was working for him. He changed up his plus one ball direction. He was so good at, you know, disguising where he was going to go with the backhand. Kordov just beat Nori beat him. Plain and simple. Was the better player from start to finish. Straight set victory. Now you look for Sebastian Corda. He has flown up uh, the charts, whether it be from his likelihood via our friends at DraftKings to win his quarter. He's now the third most likely in that Djokovic quarter. Uh, quarter. Berrettini plus 300. Alcaraz plus 300. Korda plus 550. He surpassed both Monfils at seven to one. Tommy Paul, Gareen, and Corino Busta all at eleven to one. You look via the tennis abstract formula, uh, Sebastian Corda now a point four percent chance to win the tournament, which sounds insignificant, but there's about fourteen guys who are even a point one percent chance to win the tournament. He's now one of those players and you know they give him a twelve point one percent chance to advance out of the quarterfinals, which means his matchup, a potential round of sixteen matchup against, excuse me, round of thirty two matchup against Pablo Carreno Busta. They rate as essentially a toss up. Yeah, I mean, Corde was one of those guys who was almost one of the fifteen players to be top thirty in both hold and break percentage. Was thirtieth, thirty uh, first, excuse me, in hold percentage last season, and was fourteenth in break percentage. Metrics wise, he was already borderline elite. The difference being he had some health issues, so he wasn't able to play quite as frequently or at the big events the way some of his contemporaries were. The other thing was, again, the consistency week in, week out. He's shown that, but it's about being healthy enough to sustain that consistency throughout the course of a week. That's why when I came into the season, and we talked about it in our preview podcast. I said, I just want to see Corda duplicate what he did last season, because if he duplicates what he did last season, he's already flashed signs of being elite. The scary thing about this victory, he looked better than he did last season. Again, more success hitting through the forehand. The backswing looked a little bit more condensed, a little easier for him to connect with the ball early on the return of serve. The backhand remains elite. He's comfortable and a willing volleyer. What a victory for Sebastian Corda! Now has Quarantine Moutet, a lefty who doesn't have a weapon to get him stretched, will throw him in ridiculous angles. But, you know, I think Nori is more effective. Well, it's not exactly similar, but... I Just think that's a fantastic matchup for Corda to feast on, and you know, then it's a third round versus Correo Busto. What a match that would be super exciting! Although, don't count out Talon Greek Spore, who's playing some fantastic tennis. We'll get to him in a little bit. But Corda with the upset of the day on the men's side again, straight set victory does not get broken in a 6 3, 6 love, 6 4 victory over Cam Nori. With that said. You know, again, we've talked about two American successes. We gotta talk about one of the American surprises on the day. I thought Coco Goff was gonna make the quarterfinal, and to be honest, I picked her to make the quarterfinal because David had already picked her to advance out of that section. I wanted to be different. Had I used my brain and not tried to be funny, I would have picked Madison Keys to advance. But the reason I picked Goff is because I thought it was going to be really hard for Keys to beat her twice in a row, and I just thought Goff was moving exceptionally well through the first two weeks. She looked like she had taken another step physically, looked like it had become a little bit easier for her to handle pace on the forehand wing. She was swinging through the backhand as well as ever. I thought serving particularly well, even dis, you know despite blowing the set and a break lead against Ashley Barty in week number one, but Goff struggled across the board yesterday, whether it's the thirty-eight unforced errors she hit just wasn't able to penetrate the court at all against Wong Chung. And credit to Wang Chung, first top twenty win since she beat Serena at the Australian Open, I believe back in twenty nineteen. But you know, you look for Wang Chung, eleven winners against fifteen unforced errors. She allowed Coco Gauff to make the mistakes, and she did a really good job of pressuring the Gauff forehand, not with pace as much as she did with depth, and just not allowing again the Gauff. If Gauff was going to get into her big forehand backswing, she had to cede the court positioning, and when she ceded the court positioning, that's when Wang Chung struck. Whether it was taking the ball early on the rise and changing direction, which would force a Gauff error, or just you know again continuing to pepper that forehand wing with pace to draw the golf error. Coco was just never able to find her rhythm in this match and, you know, went down an early break and definitely had some chances, you know, one of four on break points total in the match, but... Just was never able to find her confidence, find the rhythm, win three, four, five points in a row, and just, you know, again, assert herself from a court positioning standpoint where she would be able to move forward. You look for Coco Goff in this match. Three winners, again, uh, th- uh, three of four, excuse me, at the net. And I think that's a little low underselling some of the swinging volleys she may have hit. But again, that's indicative of the court positioning. It was Wang Chung who was on top of the baseline, dictating and... As physically gifted as Coco Gauff is, as impressive as her overall game style and overall skill set is, she is a comfortable, willing volleyer, can hit the swinging volley, the regular volley, the overhead. Yes, the forehand return can be attacked by pace, but that feels like a correctable thing throughout the course of her career but it's, again, for someone who can do—how frequently do we say this? She can do plan B. She can do plan C. She can do plan D. What's plan A for Coco Golf? What's the most effective and efficient way for her to win points match in, match out? You can see her struggle with that confidence throughout the course of the second set. And then she fell back into, again, relying on her athleticism, which, guess what? Is going to win her a lot of matches throughout the course of her career. Again, I would say a top-five mover right now on tour. Her fluidity, ability to turn defense into offense— but Wang Chung just dominated the core positioning in this match. And again, credit to her for that fact. 6 4, 6 2 victory. She advances to a date uh, with Allison Van Uetvenk. That's going to be a 57 43 match, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. Certainly now the key's the favorite to advance to week two out of that mini section of eight. Your other upset on the day, and from here on in, we're just kind of going to rock and roll, not break it in, with as much depth as we did those first three matches, just for you listeners curious, like, oh my god, is this going to be a nine-hour podcast? It could be. That's how exciting day one was, but... I want to talk about Alex Vukic briefly, as he is a former NCAA All-American at the University of Illinois, a guy I got to watch so much of throughout his college career, was right in my strike zone of college tennis fandom, of course, 2014 to 2015 to 17, 18, I was there his senior year, NCAAs, that Illinois team loses a tough match, I want to say to Wake Forest in the quarterfinals, that team Vukic. A young Alex Brown playing two singles, and I am i was going to make a joke. I'm not going to make a joke. Never mind. Well, yeah, I'll make the joke. I'd say this to your face, A.B. You know I love you. I mean, Alex Brown is a better tennis player now than he was then, but the feisting—that Alex Brown, he just—that Alex Brown was so funky. No one had seen it before. Oh, my God, was he effective as a freshman. Um, but, you know, you had a young Kova at five, Ziki Bear at four, Aaron Hiltzik at three, I forget who was playing six on that team. Was it Alex Jesse? No, because I think he's a little older than me. I forget who it was. But the point being, that team was really freaking good. And now Vukic, pretty damn good on the ATP tour as well. And you look for him. He made the Charlottesville, I believe, Challenger final. Or was that J.H.? No, I think it was Vukic who made the final. Also, for sure, made the Champagne Challenger final at the end of last season now finds himself at a new career high. Number 135 in the world is the 25-year-old, and some of those points are a little bit funky, but he advances to the round of 64 at the Australian Open with a come-from-behind, four-set, upset victory over Lloyd Harris, 4-6, 6-3, 7-5, 7-6. The Vukic forehand is just nasty. Plain and simple, that forehand is elite. And I'm not saying it's top 10, top 15, but terms of its heaviness, it there's a lot of parallels between Vukic and Stevie Johnson. I think Stevie's a little more fluid as an athlete. I think Stevie's a little bit more decisive at the net, but both of them just have that explosive forehand that just rips through the court. And their abilities to find serve, plus one forehands go inside out, inside out, inside in, that elite forehand combo. Vukic has that. And I'll say this, Vukic drives his backhand better and better with every passing. Season far surpasses, with all due respect to you, Stevie. He's much better than Stevie at that. And there were times, I mean, he kept Harris honest by taking his backhand down the line, by keeping that backhand deep enough cross court that Harris wasn't able to cheat over and hit forehands. And I have to say, Lloyd Harris's T-serve, how simple it is on the deuce and ad side, it's a thing of beauty. They should be teaching that in, in clinics for years to come. But you look for Vukic... He was more effective on the first serve. He won 83% of those first serve points throughout the match because he was so frequently able to find first forehands. 32 winners against 45 unforced errors. You know, minus 13 sounds a little bit harsh, but, you know, for Harris, 39 winners against 58 unforced errors, so minus 13 to minus 19. Those thin margins make the difference. And you look for Vukic, again, wins 83% of his first serve points on only a 58% clip, was able to win 60% of his second serve points. Just so much success at finding first forehands, and again, his footwork so precise, so aggressive. He's so aggressive with his footwork in finding those forehands in the ad corner, and just the heaviness of that ball. When he hits it cleanly, it's a thing of beauty. He clearly came out nervous in front of the Australian crowd, but found his bearings fairly quickly by set number two, and just... He outplayed Lloyd Harris. Like, this was not one of those, oh, Harris didn't play particularly well. Lloyd Harris made 71% of his first serves, won 74% of his first serve points. You know, Harris broke serve once. Vukic broke serve twice throughout the course of the match. This was an either-or sort of affair. Uh, but in the end, again, it was just harder for Lloyd Harris to find easy plus one winners, or and it was easier for Vukic was more effective with his plus one forehand changing spots. He hit the inside out ball so frequently through the first two sets in that forehand corner that it opened up the inside-in approach, opened up the do side for him so well to keep that down-the-you know hit that down-the-line backhand, keep Harris honest. I was so impressed with Alex Vukic. If he's going to play like that, he is a top 100 guy on hard courts. And, you know, I don't know how well that game style depends on his movement, his fluidity of movement, and he's gotten better on the clay. If he can find forehands like that on the clay, that ball on a clay court, are you kidding me? I think Vukic cracks the top 100. Is it by the end of this season? Maybe. If he's going to be this fit, this healthy throughout the course of the year, and of course it always helps to gain confidence at the challenger level at the end of last season, but... I mean, man, was uh, Alex Vukic was one of my most impressive performers, certainly on day number one, didn't just beat uh, Lloyd Harris, took it to Lloyd Harris in sets number two, three, and four, and again, Harris served really well, but credit to Vukic, outplays him down the home stretch, plays a better tiebreaker, embraces the crowd's energy, he advances uh, to day uh, to round number two, excuse me. Those were your upsets on the day. Again, plenty of other fun matches for us to touch to. We'll certainly hit the hour mark. And yes, I'm going Han Solo on today's podcast. I promise you, listeners, I'll bring in our cast of characters: the Gil Grosses, David Keynes of the world, to talk about all of the action later on in the week. But I got some thoughts. I got to get off my chest. Let's start with the women's matches now. That went the distance, and we had six of them on the day. Go three sets. I think the most notable of those three set victories, and I referred to it in the opening, Jess Pagula, who loses her first two singles matches of the seasons after starting out so hot in 2021. What was it? Quarterfinals last year, Australia, quarterfinals, Doha, quarterfinals, Dubai. Again, loses her first two matches this year, was down, and seemingly out, I believe, down a set and a break against Angelina Kalanina. Ultimately, scraps her way. 4 6, 7 6, seven, five victory for the number 21 seeded American. And look, the numbers do not reflect kindly on Pagula in this match. 62, uh, 57% first serve percentage, you know, compared to Kalnina, 74%. Obviously, that's a number Pagula would want back. You look between the two of them, though, 56 unforced errors for Pagula, 48 for Calnina. The biggest difference was that Calnina. And Kalanina reminds me a bit of Fiona Farrow and, you know, the, that school where incredibly athletic, incredibly fluid, can snap the ball from the baseline when she has time to set, particularly that backhand is explosive for Kalanina, but is often comfortable hitting that 75% ball and wants to out-athleticism you, not necessarily always out-tennis you. Pegula out tenister yesterday, and you look for her, 46 winners for Pegula against 24 for Kalanina. Pagula 19 of 34 at the net. That was a fantastic adjustment she made to get more aggressive down the home stretch of set number two and throughout set number three. Kalanina 11 of 16, seemingly efficient, but in the biggest moments, you know, break points down the home stretch of the second and third sets would float a volley and give Pagula a second look at a passing shot. And I thought the big takeaway for me was how well Pagula moved in this match in the outer thirds of the court. And again, 119 total points for Pagula, 115 for Kalanina. This was an either or sort of affair. This is the sort of match you get through when you have all of that confidence from 2021 coming into the season. And Look, if Pagula plays this level moving forward, she's not going to get very far in the draw. You look for Jessica Pagula. She's in a section that next sees her face. Fellow American lefty Bernardo Pera. Actually, you know, Pagula's lucky. She's got a chance to work her way into form because that's, you know, who was supposed to be in her section was Jabour. Onjabur, of course, again, pulling out due to injury. So Pagula does have more time than I had initially thought. She's got Para next, fellow American lefty. That's an interesting matchup. I feel like one we've seen, When I say this lovingly, Para lose in three sets all the time. She then faced the winner of Parises Diaz, and Zanevska, neither of whom have the biggest weapons. And again, if you give Pagula time, she's going to make you pay for it. If you don't have a weapon of a first serve, she's going to make you pay for it. You know, I finished the 2021 season as the top returner on the WTA Tour or something crazy like a 44% break percentage. This was a big win for Pagula, who again is defending all of those points and now, you know, is able to stash a first round win, but perhaps most importantly, that might be the toughest win for her in week number one. Certainly on paper, her toughest opponent, she's a lopsided favorite, 68% amongst the four players most likely to reach the round of 16 in that section of eight. Huge for Jessica Kigula, for her confidence and obviously for the points as well. And a much needed day off now as that match was like two and a half, three hours draining up a big win for her to kick off her season. You know, some of the other three-setters I think expected. Ostapenko, 6-7, 6-4, 6-1 over as the tournament started until Ostapenko's gone three sets. Probably not. Madison Brangle hits one winner. One winner. In a 6-1 love, 6-5 love, retirement victory over Diana Yastremska. That scoreline is actually exactly indicative of the sort of match I figured it might be. You know, uh Zhang uh six three, one six, seven six in the third victory over Sasnovich, Bronzetti, three sets over Gracheva. The other noted noted match I would say of the day would have to be the Anisimova three set win uh that she earned over former old Miss NCAA singles champion Hartono. And I mean you look at what uh what uh excuse me, Anisimova was able to do in that match. I mean Hartono was up, I believe, a set and a break and you know Definitely had a game point, I think, up 6-2, 4-3, and was up a break, I believe, early 1-love in that third set as well just wasn't quite able to get over the finish line and in fact you do look Hartono I believe led yeah was up 4-2 in the second set uh was up 4-2 uh 4-3 and indeed did have game points to extend her lead to 5-3 and it felt like once she got broken there Anisimova sort of found her confidence and I thought Anisimova um, Anisimova moved pretty well throughout the course of the match of course Hartono so smart made Anisimova pay for every second serve she hit uh Anisimova 11 of 28 on second serve points. Now, she punished the Hartono second serve as well, and there were not a lot of long points in this matchup. The biggest difference was just Anisimova was more consistently able to find the weapon she has at her disposal. 26 winners to Hartono's 15, 39 unforced errors for Anisimova, but 32 for Hartono as well. Now, that Hartono down-the-line backhand is a thing of beauty, and I actually think the power tennis she was able to play. You know, I thought she was obviously the more fluid of the two as a mover, but her ability to go plus one pace for pace with Anisimova, that's essential for Hartono moving forward to have that gear to be able to win points more easily. But credit to Anisimova, who after the victory pointed to her head as she looked at her box justifiably after winning her first title since 2019 in week number one of this season. You know, face a qualifier, former college tennis player, which as an American, Anisimova in her head probably thinks, well, I was better than that, so I should be winning this Hartono was on the level. Hartono played exceptional ball, and again, fantastic for her to qualify for her first Grand Slam, but great win for Anisimova, and it's a brutal section of the draw, because up next for Anisimova, Belinda Bencic, and that is going to be plus one tennis at its finest, big hitting, quick points, Bencic right now 55.7% favorite, that one's going to be fun. Very, very fun. So great for Anisimova to get that confidence, get through it. I actually don't think she played that poorly. I just thought Hartono played that well in set number one. But great for Anisimova to raise her level, stick in the match physically. Her versus Bench, which I can tell you right now. That's our Patreon match of the day on day number three. Uh, those were your three set matches on the women's side. You look at the matches that went the distance on the men's side. Plenty of fun action You got to start with Aslan Karatsev, who probably puts together an all-time performance. And I know uh, my friend Bastian Fashan, you know, I shouldn't say. uh, Yeah, he is my friend, Bastian Fashan, mentioned this on Twitter. Novak Djokovic also had 100 unforced errors in a 2016 slam win over Jill Simone. But, I mean, the numbers for Karatsev in this match are truly, truly something else. And that's what Jamie Munar does to you, right? And I said in our draw preview, Munar looked great physically through the first two weeks of the season, and there seemed to be a renewed depth in his uh, shot, and I thought a renewed pace in his first serve as well. Of course, he's never going to have the most size, so he's got to accentuate and uh, accelerate. No, what's, what's the term I'm looking for here? Maximize those qualities of himself. But this match for Karatsev, and let's be clear, he only hit seven aces, eight double faults, so we'll take those out of the equation. 80 winners from the ground, 99 unforced errors, 87 winners total, 107 unforced errors for Aslan Karatsev. I know Djokovic did it in the past. If this ever happens again, 100 plus unforced errors and he wins, we're calling it the Karatsev. Like, I'm sorry, friends. We are calling it the Karatsev moving forward. And look, this match was on Karatsev racket from start to finish. And the winner, 87 winners against 107 unforced errors, indicative of that fact. Karatsev looked like the gas tank was on empty. I mean, he just won a title two days ago, and credit to Murray. Different side of the draw. He doesn't have to play till the very next day. He gets that extra day off. But, I mean, again, all of the credit in the world to Karatsev, who, despite the errors piling up, kept swinging in the third set, in, in the fourth set, kept swinging in the fifth set. And, you know, again, Munar had his chances. He was up a break in set number two and, you know, had his chances to close out set number three. Wasn't able to do it. Credit to him for extending every rally, asking every question of Karatsev, you know, forcing Karatsev to get frustrated and forcing him into 107 unforced errors. But credit to Karatsev, man, for finding his way through that match. Super, super impressive. And now, again, you look for Karatsev via our friends at Tennis Abstract. Uh, I mean, he's not in the Djokovic section of the draw, but certainly you look for him. He's got Mackie McDonald next. road doesn't get any easier for Aslan Cardstead. probably have hercots after that. would be a monumental effort for him to back up his semifinal points from last year. But at least, you know, again, escapes here on day one. At least gets that first-round victory. Although, again, Mackie, no picnic. In uh, his second round matchup, you look at the other matches that went the distance, Christian Green goes up two sets to love, then almost, you know, has a disaster occur, drops set 3-7-5, drops set 4-7-6, but averts disaster with a 6-3 win in the fifth set, and I've said this a million times, 3-10 last year in hard courts. So if he can just go 7-6 and six this year or God willing, 10 wins, 5 losses, just have some success, 10 wins, 7 losses, whatever it may be. If he's able to just play slightly above 500 ball, he's not going to drop out of the top 30 because he is that good on the clay courts. Desperately needed this win, and good thing that he got it in 5. Otherwise, he would have never been allowed as a non-clay court ace of the day selection again. Your other five-setters on the day, Manorino, good win for him, five sets over the duck. James Duckworth, deuce, the deuce, deuce on Lajevich. Five-set win over Marton Sun Sunwoo Kwon come from behind. Two sets to one down. Th- Five-set victory over former World Junior number 1, now top 100 player, Holger Rune. I know Rune had cramps down the home stretch, and you know I thought he looked so good in set one. I thought he looked good, honestly, in the first three sets. And obviously, if it was a best-of-three-set match, he would have won it. But physically, and we talked about this when we had him on the show, the cramps continue to be a thing. And he continues to put the work in, both on and off the court, to avert them moving forward, but he struggled with them down the home stretch of this match. And whether it's a nerves thing, whether it's just the physicality with which he plays, trying to find those runaround forehands and you know not quitting on any ball. Finding ways to play points more efficiently and effectively is going to be what cracks the code for him between being a guy fringe top 100 and making that top 50, top 30 push that his talent clearly indicates he's capable of. Again, like we talked about with Goff, a guy who can do B, C, and D extraordinarily well, still working on plan A. I thought he showed it in sets one, two, and three, but just wasn't able to sustain it over the course of a best of five set match. Credit to Wu Kwon. I mean, the guy just can do a little bit of everything. So rock solid from every aspect of the game. Good off of both wings. Condensed ground strokes as well. Can turn on the forehand, turn on the backhand down the line. You know, comfortable moving forward as well. Isn't going to overwhelm you with this size. The second serve definitely hangs. But physically, you know, again, made that match a battle. And Rune wasn't there for the test. So credit to Sun Kwan Thoroughly earns his five-set victory to advance to round number two. Those were your matches that went the distance. Let's rapid fire through the seeds. And rapid fire meaning let's try to talk about as many as we, of them as we can in an efficient pace. I won't talk too fast, so you don't have to listen to this on half speed, but let's try and touch on all of them as we go through the rest of the day's results. Ashley Barty, dominant. That would be the one word summary. Owen one over Serenko. She looks ready to win this event. If her run in Sydney, which was quietly just so exceptional, be to Goff and Kennan and in the semifinals, beats Sviantec. In the finals, beats an in-form Now 0-1 over Amir mortal in Serenko. Barty's ready to play. Krejcikova, 2-0 over Petkovic. Yeah, that 7-6 in the third loss to Bedosa, she's over it. She, once again, ready to play. If you're not top 25 right now, you're only one non-top 25 player has beaten Barbara Krejcikova, uh over the past, you know, nine months. Krejcikova, ready to win this thing. Maria Sakkari, she struggled, and this was a struggle we saw for her in her first couple events of the first event of the season as well. Just isn't quite moving as fluidly as she was throughout the course of her best uh, when playing her best throughout the course of last season. Played her best in the tiebreaker, though, to close out a 4-6 and six victory over Tatiana Maria. And if that's the Maria Sakari we see moving forward, that Sakari can defend seed, make the semifinals. And you look for Maria Sakari, her section of the draw, you know, that top quarter is loaded, right? You've got Bencic, you've got Osaka, you've got Bardi. Section below that, a little bit more open. Now, of course, you look, it's still going to be tough sledding uh, for her, but I do think as we move forward uh, through the draw, she is one of those players who has the, you know, Maria Sakkari has the opportunity as the number five seed, you know, Krejcikova all the ways away from her in that draw. But you look uh, for Maria Sakkari. I believe, and I'm trying to find her here. I can't find her anywhere in the draw. Oh, here we go. Maria Sakkari. She she has now Chinwen Zhang. Then she would play the winner of Kudermatova Rusa. Then she would get uh, the winner of the Pagula, Pera Znevska, Perez diaz by the way, why stuff. Leave all of that stuttering in. Shows you all where my brain is uh, right now. I do that for you, the listener. But anyways, that's me trying to parlay my mistake into a compliment of myself. Sakari would would in the uh, I believe quarterfinal round be the person who plays whomever emerges out of that benchich Osaka, Barty trio, and they will have gone to battle throughout the course, just to get out of that section, and so if Sakari can find her form and peak come the start of week two, she can be dangerous, she's got the draw to do just that, you know, again, good for her to escape, I thought she played her best at the end of that match, four and six victory for her, Bedosa rolled last night, as soon as she took that six, four, seven, yeah, she was serving for it, got broken, but then gets the break back, and four and love win over Tom Janovich. pretty comprehensive, It's a heck of a victory uh, for the titleist from last week, Indian Wells champion, rising superstar. Just what's the weakness for Bedosa? She's ready to play. Osaka looked damn good in a 3-3 three and three victory over Kemi Osorio and look, Osaka I think raced out to a 4-love lead, Osorio was up 40-15 I want to say, down love 3 Osaka still managed to break her, and then Osaka fell asleep at the wheel for a hot second in that first set, but managed to recalibrate hit the backhand so well, was hitting the stretch forehand return on the deuce side down the line so well also, and just finding that forehand with ease, just again, Osorio couldn't handle the pace of Osaka as very few WTA players can, when she plays her best, she just has gear, I don't think other on a hard court can hit. I'm not calling her a hard court specialist. I'm just calling her the best on hard courts. Yeah, I think Osaka 3-3 three and three, over Osorio tells the story. That's a great first win over a tricky first-round opponent. Credit to Osorio who made adjustments through a bunch of different looks at Osaka, but Osaka answered them all. So I do think, again... Benchich looked really good. She earns a straight set victory, 4-3 over Mladenovic. Crushed me because I had her minus 5.5. She wins by five games, but was striking the ball so cleanly, was striking the return well, was, you know, again, the plus one forehand and backhand wins. I thought she was moving particularly well, though seemed to know Mladenovic's game, and they're a very longtime friends, so not shocking, uh, pretty well also. But Bencic played... I mean, that section is loaded. Anisimova escapes. Bencic's playing extraordinarily well. Osaka looks fit and locked in. It's loaded. Absolutely. That quarter could be the tournament, and we would all be happy with it. Svitolina looked good. She's moving really, really well, and will get some confidence closing out that match 1-6 and six over Fiona Farrow. I'm telling you, I know she's fallen out of the top 100, not played particularly well over the past 12 weeks. There will be a Fiona Farrow push over the next decade. Just mark my words. At some point... She's going to go on a two-month run, get to the top 25, approach the top 20. She's that sort of athlete, can do those sorts of things. Another one of those B, C, D, but what's A sort of players has to beef up the serve as well. But a great win from Svitolina who just, again, when Farrow wasn't playing plan A tennis, Svitolina made her pay for it and hit the return so, so well good wins for seeds Kudermatova, Georgie, and Saribas Tormo as well, all in straight sets. Great for Georgie after the long layoff she's had. Perez Diaz, again, the beneficiary of the withdrawal. She gets lucky loser Barra, whom she beats in straight sets. Barra taking the place of Onjabor. Your other straight set winners on the day, Van Utvenik, Zenevska, Trevisin, Wong, Christian, Martinsova, Tan, Para, with a surprise 7-5-6-3 upset win, in my opinion, over Alexandrova. Risk, 2 in two over Vekic. good to see that alley risk despite the two withdrawals last week, that run to the final, I guess, not a fluke, Rusa in straight sets, and then two players who are going to be dangerous as we move forward through the draw, Jill Teichman, Marta Kostiuk, straight set victories, you look for each of them where they place in the draw now uh, for Jill Teichman, I believe coming up next for her is Victoria Azarenka. Azarenka, 76% favorite. The numbers love her a lot. She's striking the ball brilliantly. She had a straight set victory. I don't think I mentioned her. She was a straight set victor uh, today, 3-1 and one over Udvardi as well. Excuse me. Uh, I mean, that though, match, Teichman, the lefty, the heavy spin, how she gets you stretched to angles. I didn't think Azarenka moved particularly well. She's just striking the ball particularly well. So if Teichman serves well, that match is a match. And then, of course, you look for Marta Kostyuk, who's just chock full. Of main character energy. I mean, she's dangerous. And we talked about in this in our draw preview, I believe, for Kostyuk coming up next. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a very, very winnable match for her now as she, uh, I believe, is taking on. Where is Marta Kostyuk? Again, leave all of the struggling ins. This is poor. Marta Kostyuk. There she is, taking on Sarah Ceribes. Tormo, does Cerebus Tormo have the weapons to hurt Kostyuk? I don't know if she does. Like, again, Kostyuk's going to get a lot of clean looks at Return of Serves. And Kostyuk's on her front foot. She's got that sort of power. Sneaky, good mover, sneaky, good athlete as well. I am very high on the Kostyuk bandwagon. Uh, tennis Abstract, a lot of good matches next round. 56% favorite, Sarah Saribas-Tormov. She's the favorite. Kostyuk will be an Ace of the Day underdog pick. I can promise that to all of you listeners right now. But again, Kostyuk, Teichman, two players looking to upset seeds in the next round. They both advance and will have the opportunity to do just that. That's your breakdown of the women's side on the men's side Pretty routine day for Zverev and Rafa Nadal. Now, of course, for Zverev, there's always some drama. End of the sets, first and third. He ends up playing breakers in both. Was down a break in that third set, trailing for a bit, but managed to turn on the switch and look dominant in his second set victory. Rafa moved very, very well against Marco Skiron. And I know I sort of papood Rafa in our draw preview with Jamie McDonald. Jamie picking him, I believe, to win this event. Giron didn't necessarily have the weapons to hurt Rafa, and thus Rafa looked as fast as ever. And just, again, Giron didn't have the weapons to hurt him. He served extraordinarily well, was able to turn that defense into offense, find passing shots in these ridiculous places, sucked the life out of Giron when he tracked down that drop volley from him, the short forehand drop volley in that first set, flicked the little cross-court winner and ultimately broke in that opening game or second game of the match. You could see Giron be like, oh no, I'm in trouble. But Garon gave it his, again, emptied the tank in physically in that second set tracked down every ball tried to take him on the short hop tried to do all these things to take time away from Rafa it didn't matter he cruises 1-4 and 2 against Zverev Rafa playing their uh, Zverev not playing his best tennis Rafa getting closer to playing that best tennis they look like they are ready for a potential collision course down the road I thought it was a good escape for Hubie 6 46627663 of course Hubi's made the quarterfinals of Each of the last three slams, losing to Djokovic either in the quarterfinal stage or further. Uh, Obviously, the Wimbledon final being the big further for him. You look for him again. Four sets over Brandon Nakashima yesterday. 5-6, third set breaker. Nakashima, down-the-line backhand approach shot. Hits the net tape. That's a shot he makes 90 out of 100 times, and I would have liked to see the pressure for Berrettini. Would he have made the -the on-the-run forehand passing shot there? I mean, Brandon did a great job of not seeding too much position as much as humanly possible on the Barrettini return of serve, taking that ball on the short hop, particularly on the backhand wing, did a really good job when he broke in that first set, cross-court backhand return winner on the deuce side, which is one of the harder balls to hit. He hits it with ease. Did a good job in the rally of finding the Berrettini backhand, but sometimes that forehand would float short, and when it did, I mean, Berrettini made him pay. And again, Nakashima's a good mover, reads the game extraordinarily well, reads rallies extraordinarily well, anticipates well, that's the word I was looking for, but doesn't have elite speed. And I think the Berrettini forehand exposed that fact, just that serve forehand combo too heavy for Nakashima to deal with over the course of four sets. Brandon played extraordinarily well. He is at least one of the best 64 players in the draw. Unfortunately, he drew one of the best 10. And thus he will not be advancing to the second round. Berrettini, I think there's some room for growth. I don't think he moved his absolute best. I thought he was a bit tentative on the backhand wing as well. Not going to be able to afford to do that when it's Carlos Alcaraz time. But he served, hit the forehand well. Ultimately gets through again a tough test in Brandon Nakashima. That match is close as it is because Nakashima played well, not because Berrettini played poorly. Hubi Hercats, rock and roll, number 10 C drops the four, third set breaker, 7-6, ends up taking the match in four. I thought he maintained his level from the ATP Cup, just loses a breaker to Jerasimov That happens. Shapo escaped against Laszlo, Jure had no business winning the first set, was down 5-4. Jure had a couple set points, offered a couple of approach shot, unforced errors, and just gifts to Shapovalov for the breakback. Shapovalov played a really good tiebreaker to follow that up in a pretty clean 6-4 second set, but... You know, again, it was an interesting matchup because the jury backhand is better than his forehand, particularly on hard courts, and he absorbed and redirected the Shapovalov heavy topspin lefty forehand really well. So I think from an intricate matchup perspective, that was bad from Chapo. But Chapo escaped, and like, how many times have we seen him lose that match? So many times, and so for him to get through that, even in four tight sets, and indicative of some growth from Chapo, and, Of course, he's always a guy who needs a couple matches to work his way into a tournament. If he gets them, he's as dangerous as anyone. Come those later stages, of course, you look at some of the other results on the day. Gael Monfils, one one in three over Guillermo, uh, Guillermo Coria. Excuse me, over Coria. He, obviously, he's coming off of a very good opening week of the of the season. Fit as a fiddle, that he continues to show this uh, level of play, indicative of just the talent that freaking Gael Monfils is. You look at some of the other results again. Corrino Busta through in straight sets, comfortable win over Echeverry. I thought Opelka looked excellent, and again, he's been broken twice all season. Both of those times by Andy Murray in their semifinal match last week. Three, four, and six for him made it look routine. Over Kevin Anderson, ditto for Senego straight sets over query Ke- Karen Hatchinov overcomes a slow start, four set victory for him three six six three six two seven six over an inform Dennis Kudla Hachinov, though hitting the forehand very very well right now. Carlos Alcarez looked like he had not—what COVID for Carlos Alcarez? He comes out in a sleeveless shirt. Best Rafa impression he's done to date. The man is now absolutely jacked. Whatever he, Rafa, and Munar are doing at the Rafa Academy, sign me up for that training program, please. If you've got arms like that and you can play tennis as well as he does, you're allowed to wear no sleeves on the cord. Alcaraz, two, two, and three. Checkers versus the chess of Alejandro to be low. Those were your seeded results. And again, I thought all the seeds on the men's side, minus Nori, who lost to a very much informed quarter, as we discussed. And, you know, again, the other upset on the day on the men's side Vukic over Harris. I thought Vukic played at a top 35 level. Didn't feel like there were many upsets today unfolding in either of them. Really, just the golf loss. That was the only serious upset it felt like on the day. You look at the other results, though. Plenty of juice on the men's side. Straight set winners, Kasmenovic, Hanifman, who I thought both played particularly well. Hanifman taking uh, advantage of the fact Kokonakis did not have much left in the tank. One could only wonder if he got a Tuesday start how different that match would have looked. Uh, your other winners, Greekspor, who I think has now won 28 consecutive matches, uh, obviously many of them on the challenger level. He worked Fotonini, and I'll tell you what, if you give Talon Greekspor time to load up on that forehand, the heaviness of that ball, it is freaking explosive, and a good mover, good feel around the court, comfortable moving forward. Talent Greek is just good. So expect to hear more of that name as we move forward. Good win for him over Fonini. And you look now for Greek Spore. I'm curious who he's got left uh, in the tank for Talon Greek Spore. Let's see. He now faces, ooh, interesting matchup between he and Crano Busta. Crano Busta doesn't necessarily have the most overwhelming weapon. Therefore, you know, it's not going to expose that big backswing for Greek Spore on the forehand side. So we'll talk about as we preview tomorrow's matches. Your other winners in straight sets, Benjamin Bonzi, another guy who's had so much success on the challenger level. Great to see that translate to the ATP Tour. Your American winners on the day, Mackie McDonald, sloppy first set, but comes back to win in four over Nikola Miljevic. Tommy Paul looked like, oh my God, he might actually make the fourth round, might actually make the quarterfinals. He's obviously one of the bigger beneficiaries of the Djokovic withdrawal from a draw perspective. Now faces Miamir Kecmanovic, uh, who, as I mentioned, advanced, over lucky loser Caruso, who replaced Djokovic in the draw. Bublik escapes. Four-set win over Ernesto Escobedo. Got his act together at throughout the course of that match. Although Escobedo, it's worth mentioning, served for the second set. Could have gone up two sets to love. One only wonders what that match looks like after that, particularly given Bublik and who he is. Great grind from Pedro Martinez. Wins by four games. I had a minus four and a half. That hurts. Nevertheless, he should have won that match against Delbonis, and he did just physically he's ready for three out of five sets your other four set winners Mute, elbot millman and then our guy dom kofer former number one all-american out of tulane go college tennis you look at by the way the names who had success mcdonald hanefman kofer uh, all guys who did a tour in college tennis and so folks as always college tennis it freaking works with all of that said let's talk about day two here at the 2022 Australian Open, and again, for the full picks each and every day for the extensive preview, hop on over to that Great Shot podcast, Ace of the Day segment. You look at the matches that intrigue me most on the women's side, I have nine on my list of the 32 that I feel like I have to watch at least some part of. Konya versus rogers that's my match of the day, men's or women's probably power hitting. It's not going to be the most aesthetically physical tennis. Um, but I, I suppose it is going to be aesthetic. Uh, the physicality they put into each and every ground stroke, the pace of their shots, big serves, great Konya backhand versus the overwhelming Roger's forehand. That one's going to be fun. You want longer rallies? I think Raducanu-Stevens is going to be uh, some sort of physical battle. I'm really excited for that matchup. Aesthetically, again, from a tennis perspective, that's probably my favorite women's uh, just from the style of play. They'll be employing Kvitova-Kurstea. Very uh, interesting. Just storyline. Merton Savonareva. feel like that could get good. Kanteve Sinyakova, if Kanteve rolls, she's got a really tough section of the draw, so would like to get an early, easy win out of the way. Baptiste, upset alert against Caroline Garcia. Maybe. How healthy is Claire Tawson as she takes on Astra Sharma, another college tennis product? We'll have to find out. Kasakina Vogel, Kerber Kanepi, also interesting. You look on the men's side. I'll watch no more than 15 minutes of it. Isner Cressy, though. Big serving Americans, two college tennis products. That's a fascinating one. FAA versus Rusevori, if you like the sound of snapped forehands, that is a matchup for you. Basil Svili Murray, once again, Demon Hour Musetti, two guys who can track down just about anything you hit at them. That one has track meat written all over it. Venison Sculpt versus Struf for the veterans. Dimitrov Lachetchka, Upset Alert. Umber Gasquet, Viva la France. Citzy Pass Emer. I think gamer can give Citzy Pass a test. We'll see how healthy he is right away. Evans vs. Goffin, shout out 2017. Popper and Rindernesh, Johnson Thompson, X Serendolo, shout out the Challenger Slappies. It's going to be a really fun day of action up and down the board. And of course, we will be back tomorrow to recap all of that action. But if... You missed any of our pre-tournament coverage. You want to hear, you know, it's still early enough. Who are the contenders, the dark horses, all the things you're looking at as you try to forecast this year's first Grand Slam? You can find all of that content available on our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, over the next two weeks, Aces of the Days, each and every morning, mini-break podcast recapping all the action each afternoon as well. Patreon Match of the Day segments for our Patreon family also. If you're interested in all that, you can learn more. On our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked You want to message me directly? I am at Shot Pod. A shout out as always to our super producer Danny Wostoff for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said for my super producer, Daniel Westoff our friends at Tennis Point. From all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow.
0: Thanks, everyone. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.